All right, welcome in to the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. I'm a Superman, I believe, is where that was going. What's I'm trying to think of how the chorus goes. I haven't heard this, <laughs> I haven't heard this song in like eight years. I, I always okay. get the throwback songs when we're here. I love the I love the starting song selection. So, yeah, I'm excited for this podcast though because finally there's uh, there's not basketball yet to talk about. The, the, although the first preseason game in NBA wide is actually tomorrow, Saturday. Um, I didn't even know that. But you, who's playing? I don't know either. <laughs> I just know that there's a game. <laughs> but um, the first Jazz game was, of course, Tuesday, mm-hmm. October 7th, and then the Jazz are doing the scrimmage on October 6th, Monday before that. So basketball season is here. We know this because Media Day was this Monday. And so today's podcast is going to be Media Day themed. And I know you're tired of Media Day coverage. You know, it's, it's a few days afterwards, whatever. But I think we can get into it a little bit more in depth than you're used to with with the Salt City Hoops style of analysis, if you will. And when, when Andy says you're, he means to the to the fact, I am not tired of Media Day at all. <laughs> okay. Not one bit. Well, good. Then we we get to talk about it a lot today. So basically what I've done is compiled my favorite snippets from all the interviews um, at Media Day from Dennis Lindsay. So we'll hear from Dennis Lindsay. We'll hear from Quinn Snyder. We'll hear from Derek Favors. We'll hear from uh, Gordon Hayward, Tori Murray. um, Tori Murray, I should pronounce his name correctly because, you know, it's important. Um, Ennis Cantor. And then we'll have a couple of quotes from their practices this week. Okay. Um, from Ennis Kender and Quinn Snyder that I thought were particularly insightful because I think you know a lot of media day is just is is BS. Let's be honest, right? Like there was that media day bingo card <laughs> that basically it's guys going out there saying, you know, I lost 15 pounds and yeah. I will be the best basketball player ever this year, and and the Jazz are going to win 82 games. I didn't look. Did somebody fill out the Jazz's the Jazz's bingo card and I, see how I many didn't they got? see. No, I don't know. I think I, Amar was looking at it, but I didn't. I didn't. I was writing the live blog during it, so I kind of didn't have time to go and check those yeah. off. <laughs> you were doing actual analysis rather yeah. than playing bingo. Yeah. I we, mean, uh, not to say that Amar and SLC Dunk weren't doing an actual analysis. They were, and I don't. Act, I don't think I actually saw the media the media day bingo card done on their site but i i think i'm, che- I'm checking right now I yeah i i, I, I do want to know but anyway let's get into these quotes while you're checking let's have dennis Lindsay talk about i think this was kind of a theme and and kirk Crythorpe of salt lake tribune brought this up with with a lot of different players what's the process for the jazz to go from good to great and, and especially the players on the jazz let's hear from uh dennis Lindsay. Dennis, how do you get players to go from good to great in this league? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. I wish we could uh, quantify that, capture it, and uh, reproduce it on a case by case basis. And uh, you guys have heard the quote before: players are like water; they always find their level. And there's always there's always an individual improvement aspect. Hopefully, we can couple it inside of a team concept. But I can't stand here today and tell you which players will develop and which won't. But we'll make sure to put all of our time and energy and resources into each player. And, and in time, we think uh, that will make a good team. What's, what does that mean? What does this players find their level like water always does or whatever it is that he said there? Like, what does I, that mean? I really like that quote. <laughs> I, I just uh, First of all, because I think it's just a very, like... You know, he come, he, it's a Popovichian quote in a way. Like, it's an almost like, I know what I'm talking about, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not, that most of you aren't going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, um, 
No, and I, I wrote it in the uh, – I, I put this – because you put this quote up on Twitter during the actual media day, and I wrote it up in the live blog, and I, I kind of attempted to answer your question of what does this quote mean or what do I think it means. And I think it's it, – it, really, it goes back to adaptability. I think that you want – you know, water when – you know, you pour water out into a new environment like I wrote in the in the, the piece. You, you pour water out, and it, it adapts to its new environment. It doesn't remain uh, rigid. It doesn't insist on keeping its own shape. It adapts to its surroundings, and I think that – the Jazz are looking for for players and a uh, a total team system that's going to kind of exhibit some of those same qualities in a very metaphorical sense. So I think this is a possible reading of the Dennis, the Dennis Lindsay literature, but I think there's also my reading of it was that if you have a great player and he's destined to become a great player, he's going to become a great player no matter who the coach or what system he's in. Um, and I'm not sure how much I buy that. I mean, I, I buy that quite a lot. But, like, I also think that development and, you know, whether or not you train a player in the right way makes a, makes a big difference. I, I don't know that the outcome of a player is necessarily as predetermined as I think that quote is saying. That's Do you a, agree with that uh, with that interpretation? I hadn't even I hadn't even really thought of it that way. But of course, going sort of to the question he was asked, I think that actually makes a little more sense potentially than the than the way I was thinking about it. And that and that that's an interesting way of thinking about it. That that, but maybe he kind of there's also a little bit of a. I feel like we're in an AP English class here. We are. I, <laughs> like, I was. I here's a great getting, quote. Yeah, Let's go ahead and honest. analyze it for an hour. Yeah, I I I think it's uh, I, I he may just be slightly trying to confuse us or sound smart or <laughs> not that he needs to sound smart he is smart um I, I think maybe it's maybe it's something of both maybe it's a although i don't know how you can mean both those things within that same quote necessarily. yeah it's hard but um One i or the other yeah and I, I i do think that the the to go with what my opinion of that would if that's indeed what he's trying to say i, I think i'm, I'm kind of with you there's there's there is a little bit more i think that some poor you know Derek Favors is never going to become a point guard. Like there's just there's a certain amount a level at which you can't develop a guy to certain right, things. Right. But uh, certainly the a guy has his baseline of sort of what his athletic skills are going to allow, and then you, there's a I think there's certainly a lot of room for the people that are that are helping develop him to sort of de- determine how the rest of those skills get filled in around the edges. Next time we get a chance to interview Dennis Lindsay, I may ask him about what yeah. that what he means by that. You should. It's a good one. Anyway, one of these players who could go from good to great is Trey Burke, and uh, Dennis was asked about him. From a development standpoint, did Trey Burke have a good year last year? Did Trey Burke have a good year? So I think uh, clearly uh, we've talked about this a bunch. The, the summer league happened, right? And and then the quick injury, and none of us knew what to expect. There really wasn't a early baseline because uh, he broke his finger. Uh, I was surprised that he came out of the gate as quick as he came uh, out of the gate. Uh, I think. Uh, his ball security, natural inclination to make the right pass. I think he's underrated as a, as a point guard. I think there were some strides late in the season defensively. I, I don't think Trey totally knew what he was getting into in the league as a, as a 20 slash 21 year old last year and getting hit 70 times a game on, on, on pick and rolls uh, is something new, but it's something that all point guards have to go through. and. He was able to survive that and play every game. So, yeah, I think uh, he, he did move forward in several areas. 
Interesting. Now, I, I wanted to z- we can zero in on lots of parts of that quote because, frankly, among a, among a group of, of quotes on a media day that, as we mentioned earlier, can occasionally be get to sort of generic style stuff uh, and, and company speak and things like that. I think this is one of the more sort of forthright quotes that we saw. Yeah. Um, I've I've wondered this, what you think about this, um, and I've I've mentioned in pieces when writing about Trey the and and Dennis just went into it is the the his ball control and his lack of turnovers, which is a which most would view as a really positive thing for a, a young point. It's very rare to see young point guards, especially with his kind of minutes and usage, have such low turnovers. There are those who theorize within the within NBA circles that that can, however, be a bad thing that players young ball handlers like that who don't I think it's essentially a a trial by error and learning by your mistakes type of thing do you believe in that do you do you think that it might have been okay for Trey to maybe take some more risks I do I I think it shows I think his assisted turnover ratio really shows how reticent he was to attack last year and he was really risk averse he and I think we see this in some of the passing data that uh, Dan Clayton's post today is going to be on Um, I'm stoked for that uh, basically the Jazz passed the ball more than, or actually, they passed the ball third most of any team in the NBA last season. So passing wasn't the problem last season. It's that it was kind of passing without a purpose. Mm-hmm. The Jazz were kind of moving the ball around the top of the key without actually doing anything. And I think Trey Burke was part of the, part of the problem there where he was afraid to make an incisive pass that you know may have a 10% chance of getting picked off and sure that hurts your turnover rate but it also hurts your offense when you don't make that pass yeah um and i think that's one of the things Dennis Lindsay was um hitting on there i i i like this quote a lot because it shows that how much of a, a knowledge Dennis Lindsay has of his players and you know he can give that scouting report and talk about what Trey Burke did well and what he did not do well um which you know it's of course, you'd expect a general manager to do that, but it's nice to hear that in the in the media. And I I like also that I I don't think he pulled any punches. I think he was pretty pretty straightforward with it. And he, you know he noted that Trey maybe didn't quite know defensively at least what he was sort of getting into with the NBA, which is not not a, a difficult not an, an uncommon situation at all for young players. No, it's just, not it's at a all. very tough thing to get into. And I I also agree with Dennis that he he showed some strides there near the end of the year. He started to figure some things out, and that's that's. In certain cases, all that you can ask for, you know, he wasn't coming in like a Marcus Smart where he's expected to be a defensive force right away. The best you can ask for is that he starts grasping NBA stuff as quickly as possible there. Yeah, there's currently this debate in NBA circles about whether or not rookies can at all be positive defensive players. Just because you look at some of the stats, some of the plus minus stats, and there are largely no rookies that actually contribute positively on the defensive end. To say that Trey Burke was one of those rookies who also, you know, wasn't great defensively last season doesn't mean that he can't be better this year. And I think that's a lot of what they're working on with him in this training camp. Let's move on to uh, his opinion of Derek Favors. Um, And especially, he said, Derek has a couple of levels to grow. You talked about Derek Favors needing to get outside of his comfort zone. Yeah. How many times did you have conversations about that in the summer, and do you think he's ready to do that? A few times. So I think Quinn's really taken the lead since uh, he joined the organization on communications with all players, but in particular Derek. Uh, is a foundational piece. He's someone that we want to build our defense around. Uh, he, he improved his offense, his finishing specifically last year. We uh, made a big push to uh, have Derek agree to understanding it to be to lead this group. He's got to be part of the community. Uh, Derek's committed to Salt Lake. He committed to Summer Lake. 
Uh, he's committed to open gym. So I'm just thrilled with, frankly, the summer that he's had. He's taken all the messages and challenge, and he's scored an A-plus so far. You talked about two different levels for him defensively. Sorry, Frank, just the last yeah. one. Uh, two different levels that he can reach defensively. What does he have to do to get there other than the verbals? So, awesome question. I, I'm going to include the verbal, even though you don't want it. we we got to get him communicating louder, okay? And then I think there's Derek – it's natural, like we, we grade our players positionally, defensively. And just not from how he guards his guy, Derek has always, even since a young player, graded out higher from a stance and a body position and a help in recovery more so than any player that we've had on our team consistently. I do think there's a presence that Derek can provide on the front end to, to uh, deflect and deter uh, guards and opposing players to attack. I think he needs to use his presence more specifically and, and use his voice more. And if he does that, he'll be the type of defender that we want to be. So two points on that that struck struck me, really. The first one was when Derek Favors was traded to the Jazz, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me is just how good his defensive instincts were. As a 19-year-old coming to a new team in a new league with, with a new system, and his defensive instincts in terms of where he should be and how to play this man defense and, and the stance and, and those sort of things and when to help and when to recover uh, were far and away by the, the best player the Jazz had at the time. And Dennis Lindsay says that in that quote. He's the best defensive player that we've had for any length of time on this roster. Grading out using the Jazz's system. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, from my eye test as well. Now, yeah, the defensive metrics aren't great on Derek Favors. It's hard to be great when you're, you know, the center of a 30th ranked defense, but I, I still believe in Derek Favors' potential defensively. Absolutely. The second thing I thought was interesting was just how much the vocality is important. And so uh, the story I've heard on this, and this is from the ABC4's uh, sports producer, Tyler Gibbons, who sits on the floor and does the camera work from the baseline. Um, Tim Duncan of the Spurs is always, always, always talking. Oh yeah. On defense, you know, it's it's you know, you think of Tim Duncan as a quiet guy, but when he's on the floor, he's pointing and talking and telling his teammates where to go defensively and who should be where and how the whole defense should change. And we don't see that from Derek Favors yet. And I think that's a uh, that's an underratedly big part of why the Spurs are a good defense and the Jazz are a objectively terrible one I, I think you see that from a lot of the bet you, you want your you, Kevin Garnett was another guy who is you know he's he's nearing the end but he was very much like that during his entire career especially in Boston but in Minnesota as well the and you see this with you want your big man to be the captain of your defense the defense kind of, that's the foundation that he's he, he, the quarterback in a sense because he can see the rest of the floor he can see how things are happening he can warn guys for picks he can there's all sorts of things he can do and you, and you can see it if you look closely enough on while you're watching a game even if if it's on a major network or whatever, you can see that you watch one of these big, watch a Duncan or watch a somebody like a Kevin Garnett, or I'm, I'm trying to think of another more, uh, a Tyson Chandler is another good one currently. Like you watch somebody like that, you're going to, you're going to see them. Their head is on a swivel constantly. They're barking things out. They're pointing They're that. Yeah. I want to see a lot more of that. And I think that's a really good point raised by Dennis is that Derek can do a lot more of that on top of the physical skills that he has. And it's interesting because that uh, was raised last year and Derek Favors said, quote-unquote, okay, not quote-unquote, paraphrasing said, quote, that, you know, I'm more vocal on the floor than you guys are giving me credit for. And now we'll hear in these next two quotes that actually that's not 
what's going on at all. Now he realizes that he actually does need to be more vocal. He realizes the difference between himself and kind of those elite defensive bigs. Let's go to this first quote, though, that's a little bit unrelated, unrelated that I want to talk about from Derek Favors. You signed that big deal last year. He signed one this year. Have you told him, you know, about expectations and the pressure that comes with that? No, I don't, I don't talk about that stuff, <laughs> man. I mean, y'all, y'all said enough, man. No, we just mainly talk about just trying to go out there and win games, basically. You know, just trying to prove a lot of people wrong. I just wanted to use that quote because it's like the players don't even talk about this whole pressure from the contracts thing. Like that is a made up thing by sports media people. And admittedly, we're one of them. And admittedly, sometimes we have a a deficit in things to talk about. And so we make up that Gordon Hayward's feeling under the pressure because he has a new contract. I always just imagine like Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors in the locker room together. And Gordon walks in and he's like, what's up, Derek? How was your summer? And Derek's like, Oh man, I don't know. I haven't been sleeping very much because I've been really stressed about all this pressure. Right, like, like, this, this doesn't ever happen. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I, <laughs> no, I, I just think that like if we're honest with ourselves, we know that that's BS a little bit, and so I, I don't know. I, I don't think that he has more pressure to play better. He's going to go out there and play basketball and shoot the basketball in the same way that he's done literally hundreds of thousands of times before. Like uh, it doesn't affect how people play now you know i can see an argument for maybe clutch in-game pressure making a difference although again the statistics are iffy but uh, this overriding pressure like gordon hayward didn't think about his contract you know more than twice last season during a game you know what i mean like maybe it came up through his head somehow sometime but it's just it's just not something that comes up for these guys they have their agents for a reason it's it's a business it's and if it is, if, it, if it's the type of thing that is coming up for players, I would, I would think that's like a problem. I would for those if the, that the player's mind is on that sort of thing. And I think most NBA players are at a level where they, yeah, they've that's that's why agents are around. That's why you've got representation. And I think I think most players have learned by a at least at minimum a couple of years in the league how to kind of eliminate that sort of thing from their thought process, especially anytime they're on the court, like for even a second. Yeah, no, you've got enough to think about and react to. Anyway, you know, you're not yeah. thinking about your how much you're currently being paid per minute. I mean, how much? I'll, I'll move on. Let's move on to the it. basketball. <laughs> Let's move on to the basketball. So Derek favors on what he needs to do to improve. Dennis Lindsay talked about how he feels like there's two different levels you can reach defensively. Do you agree? And, and what do you think it takes to reach the level defensively that you want to be? No, I agree. I think it's two more levels for me to reach defensively and offensively. You know, I, I don't think I showed my whole offensive game yet. You know, a lot of guys think that I'm just. You know, back to the basket guy or just when Trey or Gordon get to the paint, dish it off, and that's the only way I can score. I think I got two more levels offensively. And for the defense, I think probably more vocal, being more vocal out there, talking, directing traffic a little bit more, and just being smart with the fouls and block shots and all that kind of stuff. Were there more things or, or specific shots when Snyder was asking you to work on in the summer? Yeah, basically, um, you know, just baseline jumper, free throw line jumper, and just try to stretch the floor out a little bit more because the type of offense we're going to run and, you know, I'm probably going to be playing the center's position anyway. So just working on different things other than just going in the paint and, and banging all, all game. The fouls thing is something that Derek did make a, a pretty good amount of progress on last year. He took his personal fouls per 36 from five even to down to 3.9. So that's a, that's a, over a full foul per 36 that he eliminated. And I want to see him kind of keep going down that down that straight. He got a lot better last year at not sort of le- not being got, get, uh, taken into the air too quickly by pump fakes and things like that. I think he's going to have a – I think he's going to really sort of – 
that I think that's when you sort of sometimes start to see it from NBA bigs is when they're everything about their movement has just become really in control the way they move themselves and and I think we saw a large degree of that from last year from him and I think he's going to perfect it even more a little bit this year is just when they just every, it looks like everything they're doing is in concert with the offense you can see them essentially moving with the offense and re, re, like not reacting to it but sort of moving with it if you see what I mean yeah they're they're part of the setup they're they're doing the right things at the right time and I think that's difficult sometimes for big men to do and you see this lack of cohesion in a lot of the poor performing offensive teams in the league um uh, you know on the other end of the spectrum you look at how like the spurs use their bigs and you know it's it's night and day um yeah i I thought that was interesting i thought his quote about you know i'm going to be a center but i still am going to be taking these baseline and free throw line jumpers even playing that position i I thought was just an interesting point of view for for derek those are huge for him Uh, i've written that multiple times if you know if derek can come up with a, a legitimate consistent 15 footer from be it wet even if it's only really from one or two major spots like if he's just got an elbow and a, and a baseline or something like that and he's not able to diversify it much even just that is going to be so huge for his game he's he can build it he could potentially build a pick and pop into his game although something that might be slightly outside his range I do think um that that would really really be huge for the Jazz to be able to stretch. You'd be able to start looking at more stuff in terms of pairing him with Gobert more frequently because the 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 offense wouldn't suffer as much as it did last year. That's if he can do that. And I do think Derek is primed for a really big year this year. I think we're going to see things from him in the post as well. Some things that we haven't in the past. Maybe some face up moves. Um, maybe even some some more. Ba- he hasn't really. He actually has had a little bit of face up, hasn't he? In the, yeah, in previous years, but it hasn't been effective. <laughs> yeah, no, it really hasn't been. And I I think he's going to parlay some of the. You know, he I think he was able to realize last year when he was a, a top twenty finisher as a as a pick and roll roll man. I think he was able to realize just how devastating he himself can be when rolling to the hoop, with, with, just when moving to the hoop with speed and the ball. And I think he knows that if he can face a guy up, especially a guy who for the first part of the season they're not going to be crowding him up because they he doesn't have that consistent jumper just yet he's going to have a step or two where he can get some momentum going and I think he knows that his his physical skill set lends itself to against a lot of guys if he just gets going he can kind of bull his way there against a lot of guys that he's going to be playing against I, I expect to see some more of that kind of stuff and maybe some a little bit of finesse diversity yeah that'd be good to see and I so Quinn Snyder this next quote is on how uh how he answered that good to great question and you know Derek Favors is a great example Player development, is it harder to go from average to good or good to great? No, that's a good question. It's so subjective and, and so situational, but I, I think like anything else, the, the, the step from good to great probably is a more complicated one and requires uh, kind of the crucible of experience to, to, to get you there. Uh, it's such a, a rare thing to see a great player. Um, and you know we all have to aspire to that now what i'm what i'm interested in is how this sort of how this quote applies to the jazz this year and which which individual players for the jazz might be falling into which of these categories and and being getting a little bit more you know he talked about how subjective that quote was let's be subjective about these jazz players who are who are the ones that have the the chances to make these leaps that we're talking about? I think there a couple of them are obvious are pretty obvious. You know, you expect you would hope that Hayward and you would hope that Favors as your two most recently highly paid players and young players as well, and with the most years in the league, sort of of these young players would be that. Would you agree? Yeah, I I, I mean I think they've almost made their leap already. I mean I I know they're good, but I I just don't know how they're good to great 
happens really and especially with hayward i i don't know if there's that many more levels to go i mean he can shoot better right like we, yeah. we know that he's a better shooter than i think he showed last season but you know and that's a big deal but i don't know that there are many more facets to his game that he can add i think Derek favors is more one where he can start to put it all together like he says he can get those two levels higher on both offensive and defense that would be that good to great move um I mean, I think Alec Burks and Ennis Cantor are examples there, too. I don't know if they're good yet, and you may say that they're the average to good of Kurt Cragthorpe's quote there. Um, but, you know, I think you may almost expect a bigger leap from those younger guys than you would the four-year veterans, Hayward and Favors. Yeah, and, like, you know, Gordon isn't going to be, at, like you say, he's not going to be adding too many new, like, things to his game. We're pretty much past that point. It's just getting better at the things that he already has in his game. And I, I think Favors maybe has a little more room, but, yeah, to, to add actual new things. But, yeah, I would agree. I think we, from especially from Alec, there's, and we all know my my intense liking of him, but I think there are, so there are areas of his, his nuanced uh, – second level game essentially offensively like when the first option isn't there like the first option being slashing to the hoop and getting there I think he's he's going to get better at sort of the secondary things to do there so he's not forcing himself into tough spots and taking certain jumpers that he may not be liking and things or turning the ball over things like that and we, yeah we could see some things like that and I with a guy like that or even with a guy like Cantor especially if he can sort of all of a sudden find a grasp of the defensive stuff which isn't impossible with a whole new scheme you could see a pretty large rise there maybe even from an average to goodish great but yeah hopefully I'm no hopeful. i yeah. yeah so our next four quotes are from ennis Cantor, and before we get into him i just want to say that ennis Cantor is like the king of media day he's so awesome because he's like the most personable jazz player by far um just in terms of how he's answering questions he's honest with the media um he's still got kind of the language barrier thing which which makes it more fun um he he hasn't like developed that um distance that a lot of really good players do and he also still makes fun of me tweeting about him <laughs> so he's, i i tweeted something negative about him last season because you know the plus minus and everything else let's be honest weren't great with canter last season and so i tweeted that and and ever since then canter has been really upset with me and and how i've treated him unfairly quote unquote <laughs> but he always says it with a smile he's always like very nice about it i ennis canter's my favorite interview on the team um, let's hear from him, first of all, on what he thinks youth means for the Jazz. It looks like this has the potential to be a lot of fun. You're all young guys. you got a young coach. Everything's new. You know, they're promising more up-tempo. What excites Definitely. you about this team? It's just, like, like you said, just we, we have a lot of young talents. We have something really special. I mean, young means, to me, is just hunger. And every, a lot of people will think that young is just, okay, they're young. They need to, they need some time. I don't, I don't believe that. I think it's... Uh, as a team, I think we're going to get the uh, season started and we just want to, I don't know if I want to say promise, but we just really want to uh, bring back the playoffs to Utah. It just, you can hear the smile as he's talking, <laughs> like you can hear how much he's enjoying, like even answering sort of a rudimentary question. Like yeah, that. and great. so he went from a question to, are you guys going to have fun this year to, yeah, and we're going to make the playoffs, yeah. baby. Like <laughs> I don't want to promise, but we're going to. But um, playoffs to Utah, yeah. And I also think there's like, to me, youth means hunger thing. I think all these quotes, by the way, are like little sub-tweets, if you will, to uh, Ty Corbin and how that whole relationship was handled. Because it was clear that there was, that was the most fractured relationship, player-coach relationship on the team last year. 
And for Ennis to get so far behind Quinn Snyder, and we'll hear a couple of quotes about that coming up, but for him to say, you know, to me, youth means hunger, not that you need more experience, I think means that, you know, that's something that he heard from Ty Corbin before, and now he's excited that the youth is going to have a chance to shine. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've... I want to see that that hunger from him this year on the court. I want to see that translate on the court. Right, that's the thing is, you know, and he's always been offensively hungry. He's always been really, you know, feisty under the boards and everything else, but it's just whether or not the defense can work. Um and and we do have a quote from his defense coming up. But first of all, I asked him about his new rumored three-point shot. Yeah. We're going to see the three-pointer. Oh, absolutely, man. So, first time. <laughs> so, I'm rehabbing in Chicago. Coach Kuhn came to visit me and we went to the gym. And he just said, you know, you're gonna. He said, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna shoot some threes this year, right? And I, I was just like, you know, shocked that he first time he he met me, that gave me that confidence, I and mean, it means a lot to me. So it just, uh, I think we will, and we've been working on it. It's working pretty well. I think. Uh I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm really excited to see Ennis shoot threes. And it, again, he sounds like so giddy about it. Like he, he, <laughs> yeah. The first time he met me, he told me I could shoot threes. I love this guy. <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. And uh, now I would, I will caution one thing. And I wrote this up in the uh, in the live blog as well. The lot of lot of Jazz fans are typically thinking that because it's the shorter shot, that the corner three is going to be what he's looking at most of the time. Since that would, I don't many think would, so. No, and I don't think so either. And the the reason is that you very very rarely see bigs shoot the court even even your stretch fours and guys like that you very rarely see them shoot the corner three unless we're talking about like like steve novak will shoot some corner threes but he barely counts as a stretch four. right like, he's, he's um, a wing yeah um and the reason is because it's just that's a really long way to run back on defense and you, you even though the corner three is shorter you still miss it a lot of the time yeah and then having to run back on defense your your own guy is going to have an advantage getting down the court on you it's going to be a disadvantage on the other end i think we're actually not going to see that many corner threes they're going to be more from the from the wings no i totally agree i mean and uh, uh, sorry quinn snyder talked about this in the media training day um where the jazz are going to have four players outside of the three-point line on these kind of transition sets in this flow set and then one post player so to me i mean that's clear that you want to have derek favor flashing towards the rim being ready for alley-oops and and dunk and you know yeah dunks etc down low and then ennis Cantor to me is that guy up top that is going to be the trailer on these plays hitting the three or going off to the wing or establishing the pick and roll early you know i think that's one of those areas where he's going to be the most effective we're going to see him trailing these plays and bigs that's not something that bigs are typically prepared for not centers at least most of them and if you went to a jazz game last season you saw ennis Cantor actually taking these three-point jump shots while he was warming up for these games you know we didn't see it at all last season i believe he took one three-point shot total and missed it yeah um I'm really excited to see just how good that is for Menace Country. Like, sure, you can shoot the three, but it doesn't mean necessarily you'll be good at it. I, I hope that he is. If he can even hit it at 35% or even close, I think they're in pretty good shape, and it becomes a viable option. Like, it, it's going yeah. to stretch the floor even if he's not, like, a knockdown guy there. Yeah, and if he's not the first year, then that's fine, too. You know, if, if he is part of the long-term future of the Jazz, maybe you can look at him, him getting better at that as time goes on. You know, maybe his first season's not the end goal here. Um, let's hear what he has to say about his relationship with Quinn Snyder. He went into that, went into some detail. What's your relationship been like with Quinn so far? But it's, it's so different than it's like it's with my other coaches before. It's just, he's just like a type of guy that it's not, he's taking like a big brother and young brother. You know what I mean? He just doesn't, he's not, he's not like, oh, I'm the coach. I know everything. He's asking players. He's 
telling us sometimes uh, what should we do, what should we not do. You know what I mean? So he's communicating with the players. I think it's a, it shows a lot to me. It means a lot to me. Does that kind of give you, I mean, the confidence and kind of, I mean, it probably alleviates a little bit of the stress and the pressure on that definitely. I mean, the stress. I think that when you're playing, if you have, a, if you're under stress, then it's gonna affect your game too. But when you talk to Coach Quinn, or he gives you, he gives that confidence and he communicating with you so well that you just wanna just go for it and you just go out there and want want to play for him. So, so much different. It's gonna be interesting this year. I'm really excited. Verbal subtweets. Yeah, no, that one was even, that was like, and my previous coaches, who will remain unnamed, but just just (laughs) the one. I mean, there was a coaching staff, let's, yeah, but yeah, it's it's different. He's saying, look, these guys are actually listening to what I have to say, and and Quinn talked about that too in Summer League, that he wants to ask the players if a player is working or not. You know, he wants to ask what they want to do, because they know, he knows that they'll be more successful if everybody's on the same page. I think Ty Corbin was a really top-down kind of leader for the Jazz, and that worked with some players, didn't work with Enes Kanter. I think it's, that's that's a, the whole give-and-take thing with your players is something that the your average fan, I, I don't know that your average fan would necessarily think that that's a thing. I think your average your average fan would think, well, no, the coach is the coach, and he they decide the things, and then they go right. Goes the down football mindset, exactly. Yeah, and I I I do think that some of your better co- like do you do you not think Greg Popovich is talking to his to Tim Duncan and, and guys like that? Of course he is, like, right for sure. And who knows if he was doing that when they were younger or not? And coaches evolve too, but that's I, I think that's absolutely a good thing in almost every situation. You want that you want that give and take you, and you want to empower your players, even if you're not necessarily taking every little bit of of what they say. You want to empower them and know that their voices can be heard like that. Yeah, it's still a player's league, and and you don't want each player going on their own, but you need buy-in from people on both the offensive and especially the defensive end. And I think one way you can get that is by getting their opinion involved and making them feel like their opinion matters so that, you know, they, they're doing it of their own accord. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm inter- I would I would love to hear what all of Dennis's various suggestions have been as well. Yeah, no, I'm I'm curious too. I don't know that I would actually implement those suggestions, but if he gets to feel like he's part of the the I don't know, the idea behind the offense and defense and He'll be a lot happier. What if Ennis Cantor is is an offensive basketball genius, and you don't even know that, and he's <laughs> like he can introduce a whole new level of NBA offense? It's true. I mean, well, okay. So first of all, didn't he learn basketball like seven years ago? Yeah. So maybe he is. Maybe he's a savant. We just don't know. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, he's already in the NBA. Um, let's hear one more time from Ennis Cantor. This one's actually not from Media Day. This is from uh, training camp the next day. But he talks about how he can improve on defense. Does it feel like you're thinking out there of, of what you need to be doing on defense a little bit more than previously? Definitely. I mean, uh, like so. So last year, uh, I didn't have much knowledge on defense, but now this year, that uh, with Coach Quinn's that giving us that uh, energy, it's just coming like naturally. You know what I mean? You just want to play defense. You know, of, of course, offense is fun. Everybody wants to play offense, but the defense is just becoming a fun too for me that's really that's you like hearing that because you could see, i mean you could physically see that you could just really see he just didn't enjoy himself <laughs> last year on defense no. and you know the eventual goal of course is going to be to the the very first part of the question is are you are you thinking a little bit more out there the eventual goal is going to be for the answer to that to actually be no and for the answer to that to essentially be no i, I just do it like right. it, it's just there but the for now i think that's that's a couple steps away you got to take it that at a time here and i think yeah just getting in is to the point where he's 
consciously thinking about, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I have to do. And just making sure that he's taking care of his responsibilities first before he's kind of trying to go to any second level there. Yeah, if, if he gets to have fun of it, I feel like then Ennis Cantor does those things. Yeah. You know, it, I think he still has a lot of the SpongeBob t-shirt in him, and I think he still is like a fun-loving guy. And so if, if he can have fun with both the offense and the defense, and, and hopefully the rebounding too, that's something that's dropped off in recent years, and I, you know, maybe asking too much but if he can put all three facets of those game to get of his game together then that'd be i'm not i'm not sure it's asking too much because i i think it's almost just a uh getting him to play as as tenaciously on the boards on defense as he was on as he does on offense because he clearly does that on offense and they're not the exact same skills of course boxing out is very different from attempting to get around a box out essentially but uh some of the same sort of effort things go into it and i think we could see an improvement there yeah, no, I, I think he's a unique player because he's shown flashes in each of those three facets of the game. Like, mm-hmm. he's shown that he can be that offensive scorer. He's shown, especially his rookie season, that he can be a capable defender. Um, and then he's shown, obviously, the amazing rebounding skill that he had for his first two seasons. Uh, you know, if he does put that all together at once, then, yeah, he could be the Jazz's next all-star big man. Really wide range of possibilities for him. I'm, I'm really yeah. excited to see sort of which course he takes. And I think, as a side note, that's one of the things that makes an extension less likely is because there are so many possibilities. Yep. But our last quote for today is from Quinn Snyder, also from practice uh, this week, talking about the transition defense thing that he's been talking about a lot, the importance of transition defense. But does that necessarily mean that you have to give up the offensive rebounds? When you have bigs like Ennis and, and Derek guys that, I mean, traditionally have tried to get those offensive rebounds. I mean, we still, we're not acquiescing on the offensive glass with our bigs. I mean, we absolutely, you know, Ennis, that, that's a strength. Um, and those guys need to go to the glass, but they also need to sprint back. You know, it's not either or, it's, it's both. I really like that. And you've been hearing guys talk even at, both at the media day and in the subsequent practices since. You've been hearing talk guys talk about being in shape and how they need to be in maybe slightly better shape than some of them were coming in here. I like that. I th- this is a young team. These guys need to be running a lot. And that includes on that doesn't just include getting out for for transition opportunities off of defensive rebounds and things like that. You need to those are those are big things and the NBA has increasingly realized the importance of if you can find even a even a 4 on 3 numbers advantage coming down in transition, you, that's an advantage that you're going to get some open shots off of that and the Jazz not giving up those sort of things is going to be a big piece of what helps them not be the last ranked defense in the NBA anymore. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting different from like Quinn Snyder compared to like Greg Popovich or Doc Rivers, someone who absolutely does and admittedly so give up that offensive mm-hmm. rebounding game, um, just you know doesn't go after those offensive rebounds unless it actually falls to you in favor of that transition defense. Quinn wants to do both. He kind of recognizes the value of keeping that possession alive in the offensive end. And I think, like he says, the Jazz have the skill set to do that with exactly. Eric Favors and Ennis Cantor, but then also getting back. And Dan Clayton did a post on this. Again, I'm using his posts a lot, but I think they're really good. Um, that says, you know, there's maybe not as much of a correlation there between offensive rebounding and transition defense as we thought. Yeah, and I think that it's it's a really it, you know, and we're we're seeing a bunch of great things from Quinn early. It's a it's a it's a real recognition of his per, of his personnel that he you know I think there's a reason why I think Popovich would do more of that type of thing if he had this roster rather than a bunch of older guys. Tip it that no, that's you know, fair. And knowing that he has these young legs, and I think he knows that that's going to be some, he can he can kind of have the best of both both worlds there to a to a certain degree. Yeah, I, I, Doc Rivers has had always kind of these veteran players too. I, I wonder if that goes into his mindset 
Anyway, so that was our quotes from Media Day. I hope you liked them. hope you liked our analysis of them. As always, we wrap up the podcast this week with a crazy trade idea of the week. Ben, what do you have for us? Okay, so the Jazz are at a point where we're probably not going to make any mega huge trades at this point. Uh, not during training camp? No. No, for some reason I'm thinking that's not likely. But still, if they did, what would be one that would make sense? If they did, if they made a little deal, we're to, generally with the Jazz we're going to talk about with them, they have a little bit of room left under the salary cap here, or under the luxury tax at least, uh, to maybe take on a tad bit of salary if it's the right deal. So, And we've talked about this player before. We know that Minnesota, with all their new incoming young talent, maybe wants to dump a little some of those medium-sized veteran contracts that they've got that may not be doing them a whole lot of good except for taking minutes away from said youngsters. So the Jazz are going to be acquiring J.J. Barea for what I believe is the second time this summer, if you're going by mm-hmm. our uh, our trade counter here. Um, and the Jazz are going to go ahead and send Toure Murray and uh, Carrick Felix for him. Uh, the trade works salary-wise. The Jazz would be taking on, I think, maybe wh- like a million and a half more than they'd be sending out or something like that. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, so it'd be about yeah. two million if I'm looking at the salaries, right? So yeah, that saves the Timberwolves a little bit of money. I mean, obviously they're not going to be contenders, and they are a franchise that does have profitability issues with mm-hmm. their attendance. You know, I I don't know if they necessarily do it, but I do think they do want to dump JJ Barea. Um, you know, it's kind of whether or not the Jazz think Carrick Felix is a better prospect, is a prospect worth keeping or giving yeah. up in that deal. Um, and so, you know, I don't think they make that trade, especially now, because they just don't really know what they have in Carrick Felix um, and his 48 NBA minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. But you may see that come, you know, further down the road if he gets some playing time and struggles. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, we're, we talked to earlier, one of the first quotes that we had was from, and that we our analysis about it was about Trey and his sort of the way that he, sometimes he's not necessarily attacking as much as he needs to. J.J. Barea is going to be somebody who's going to help him with that if he if he were to come over. J.J. Barea attacks way too much hmm. that, you know, he's J.J. Barea just loves hurtling himself towards the basket and, and things like that. I, I think that's probably not a huge factor, probably not moving the needle a whole lot, but every little bit counts. And if if it was determined that Carrick Felix wasn't necessarily going to be a, the type of prospect you need to hold on to, he's more of a 12th man, sure, I could see something like this happening. Yeah, no, I, I, I could too. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, the Timberwolves aren't all that close to the luxury tax line. They're at seventy million total, but still, that's a lot of money for a team that's projected to put up as many wins as. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think they've just you know they got all the young guys they've got, and and of course they still have Ricky Rubio. It's not like they ever need JJ Barea to play like real starter minutes or anything like that at his position. And I don't think there's all he's really going to be doing is taking more minutes away from like Zach Levine and people like right, that. Exactly. The, it, it doesn't make sense on their roster anymore. And he makes a little bit of sense on the Jazz's roster. Yeah. He could play common second and second slash third guard, depending on how good XM point guard, depending on how good XM looks can give a little bit of, you know, he, maybe he's not a veteran veteran, but he's been in the league. He's done things. He's, he's been in the playoffs, right? Yeah. That dude's been in the playoffs. He's been on a title team. Like he knows, yeah. he knows what's going on. So um, it could be fun. Yeah. And if the Jazz were to get a long-term asset like a second-round pick, then I think that's oh, something they do. Yeah, uh, right. I, I don't know if they do it you know, just for the value of J.J. Barea this season because, again, Carrick Felix is someone you could conceivably keep long-term. Um, but if they were to get a second-round pick, I think that would be enough to make it worth it. Absolutely. I don't know if, if Minnesota does it in that case because they can just that's ride fair. him for one more year and then he's gone after that because it is an expiring. So. That's fair. Yeah. No, I mean, and then maybe they look to dump someone like Kevin Martin, but that's a bigger salary, and that's a whole other conversation. So, yeah. 
Anyway, I at least Kevin Martin did know about the Kevin Love trade. That was just a rumor that he did not. Really? That was my favorite rumor of the week, is that Kevin Martin didn't know about Kevin Love being traded until media day. But he said this in one of his interviews, but he he was joking. Anyway. Come on, man. <laughs> that that was my favorite one of my favorite moments of Media Day this week. Basketball games start next week. We'll yes. have stuff to talk about. This has been the Salt City Hoops Podcast.